0: Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading *Mini Sacrifice, written by Frances Harper in 1869. Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, born in 1825, was one of the first black women to be published in the United States. She worked with William Still, to help refugee slaves find freedom in Canada through the Underground Railroad and was an activist with the American Anti-Slavery Society. In 1894, she helped found the National Association of Colored Women and served as Vice President. She died at age 85 in 1911. Many Sacrifice was originally published as a serialization of three novels in the Christian Recorder, a journal by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Minnie's Sacrifice is the story of a woman living in the North whose identity and heritage is kept from her until she unexpectedly meets her birth mother an escaped slave. She marries a man whose racial identity and heritage were also kept from him, and they moved to the South to participate in uplifting and empowering members of their race. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. LaGrange's plan The whole fact is this, Joe. I'm in an awkward fix. I have got myself into a scrape, and I want you to help me out of it. You were good at such things when we were at college, and I want you to try your hand again. Well, what's the difficulty now? Well, it's a rather serious one. I've got a child on my hands, and I don't know what to do with it. Whose child is it? Now. That's just where the difficulty lies. It's the child of one of my girls, but it looks so much like me that my wife don't want it on the place. I'm too hard up for now to take the child and her mother, North, and take care of them there. And to tell you the truth, I'm too humane to have the child sold here as a slave. Now, in a word, do you think that among your abolitionist friends in the North, you could find anyone who will raise the child and bring it up like a white child? I don't know about that, St. Pierre. There are a number of our people in the North who do two things. They hate slavery and hate Negroes. They feel like the woman who, in writing to her husband, said they say or don't say, that absence conquers love. For the longer you stay away, the better I love you. But then I know some who I believe are really sincere and who would do anything to help the colored people. I think I know two or three families who would be willing to take the child and do a good part by her. If you say so, I'll write to a friend whom I have now in mind and if they will consent, I'll take the child with me when I go north provided I can do it without having it discovered that she's colored for it would put me in an awkward fix to have it known that I took a colored child away with me oh never fear says St. Pierre slapping his friend on the shoulder the child is whiter than you are and you know you can pass for white true to his promise Josiah Collins wrote to a Quaker friend whom he knew in Pennsylvania and told him the particulars of the child's history and the wishes of her father and the compensation he would give. In a few days, he received a favorable response in which the friend told him he was glad to have the privilege of rescuing one of the fated race from a doom more cruel than the grave, that the compensation was no object, that they had lost their only child and hoped that she would, in measure, fill the void in their hearts. Highly gratified with the kind letter of the friend, LaGrange gave the child into the charge of Josiah Collins and putting a check for $500 in his hand, parted with them at the station. He went back into the country and told his wife that he had found a trader who thought the child was so beautiful and that he had bought her to raise as a fancy girl and had given him $500 for her. And here, said he... Handing her a set of beautiful pearls, is my peace offering. Georgia's eyes glistened as she intertwined the pearls amid the wealth of her raven hair and clasped them upon her beautifully rounded arms. What mattered it to her if every jewel cost a heartthrob and if the whole set were bought with the price of blood? They suited her style of beauty and she cared not what they cost proud, imperious, and selfish. She knew no law but her own will, no gratification but the enjoyment of her own desires. Passing from the boudoir of his wife, he sought the room where Ellen sat, busily cutting and arranging the clothing for the field hands and gazing furtively around. He said, here is Minnie's likeness. I have managed all right, thank heaven said the sad hearted mother, as she paused to dry her tears, and then resumed her needle. Anything is better than slavery. Before I proceed any further with my story, let me tell the reader something of the Lagranges, whom I have so unceremoniously introduced. Lagrange, like LaCroix, was of French and Spanish descent, and his father had also been a Haitian refugee. But there The similitude ends. Unlike LaCroix, he had grown up a gay and reckless young man, fond of sports and living an aimless life. His father had on his plantation a beautiful quadroon girl named Ellen, whom he had bought in Richmond because she begged him to buy her when he had bought her mother, who had been recommended to him as a first-rate cook. They had been servants in what was called one of the first families of Virginia, and had been treated by their mistress with more kindness and consideration than generally fell to the lot of persons in their condition. As long as she lived, they had been well-fed and well-clothed, and except the deprivation of their freedom had known but few of the hardships so incident to slave life, but a reverse had fallen upon them. Their mistress had intended to set them free, but, dying suddenly, she had failed to carry out her intention. Her property fell into the hands of distant heirs, who sold it all and divided it among themselves. Ellen and her mother were put up at auction when a kindly-looking old Frenchman bought the mother. Ellen stood trembling by, but... When she saw her mother's new master, she started forth, and kneeling at his feet, begged him to buy her. The mother joined in and said, Do massa, and I'll serve you faithful day and night. There's a heap of work in these old bones yet. Mr. LaGrange told her to be quiet, and he would buy her. And true to his word, although the bidding ran high and the competition was fierce, he bought her and the next day had started with them for his plantation on Red River. His son, Louise, had just graduated and was spending the winter at home in just that mood of which it is said that Satan finds himself mischief for idle hands to do. Millie, who knew the wiles of the world better than Ellen, tried to keep her as much as possible out of his way, but her caution was all in vain she saw her child engulfed as thousands of her race had been. Mrs. LaGrange, when she became apprised of the condition of things, grew very angry, but instead of venting her indignation upon the head of her offending son, she poured out the vials of her wrath upon the defenseless girl. She made up her mind to sell her off the place and pick the opportunity while her son was absent to send her to a trader's pen in the city. When Louise came home, he found Millie looking very sullen and distressed, and her eyes red with weeping. What's the matter? said Louise. Matter enough said Millie, "Missus done gone and sold Ellen. Sold Ellen? Why? How did that happen? why she found out all about her and said she should not stay on the place another day and so she sent her down to new orleans to the negro traders and my heart's most broke said millie sat down wiping tears with her aprons never mind millie said louise i'll go down to new orleans and bring her back mother shan't do as she pleases with me as if i were a boy and must always be tied to her apron string." I've got some money of my own, and I mean to find Ellen if I have to look all over the country. He entered the dining room and saw his mother seated at the tea table looking as bland and pleasant as a spring morning, and asked, Where's Ellen? The smile died from her lips, and she answered curtly, She's out of your reach. I've sold her. But where have you sold her? Out of your reach, and that's all I'm going to tell you. Luis, without saying another word, went out to the coachman and asked what time the cars left to the station. Ten minutes to nine. Can you take me there in time to reach the train? I want to go to the city tonight. Don't know, massa. My best horse is a lame, and what? Never mind your excuse here," said he, throwing him a dollar. Hitch up as quick as possible and take me there without any buts or ifs. All right, Massa, says Sam, grinning with delight. I'll have you over there in short order. The carriage harnessed. Samuel found no difficulty with his horses and reached the depot in almost half hour before the time. Louise arrived in the city after midnight, and the next day he devoted to hunting for Ellen. He searched through different slave pens, inquired of all the slave traders, until at last, ready to abandon his search in hopelessness, he heard of a private jail in the suburbs of the city. Nothing daunted by his failure, he found the place and Ellen also. The trader eyed him keenly and saw from his manner that he was in earnest about having the girl. She's not for sale in this city, Whoever buys her must give me a pledge to take her out of this city. That was the bargain I made with her mistress. She made me promise her that I would sell her to no one in the vicinity of the city. In fact, she wanted me to sell her out of the way of her son. His mother said she had dedicated him to the Blessed Virgin, and I reckon she wanted to keep him out of the way of temptation. Now what will you give me for her? Will you take a thousand for her? Now you ain't saying nothing, said the trader, shutting one eye and spitting on the floor. How will 1,200 do? It won't do at all. Not for such a fancy article as that. I'd rather keep her for myself than to sell her at such a low figure. Why, just look at her. Why, she's pretty as a picture. Look at that neck and her shoulders. See how she carries her head? and look at that splendid head of hair. Why, some of our nabobs would give $3,000. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you have her for $2,000. Fancy article is cheap at that," Louise demurred. But the trader was inexorable, and rather than let the opportunity to rescue Ellen from him escape, he paid the exorbitant price and had her brought to his hotel. His next work was to get a house for Ellen and have her taken there, installed as his mistress. He then went back to the plantation as if nothing had happened, and his mother soon thought he was reconciled about the loss of Ellen. Only Millie knew his secret, and she kept it as a secret thing. "'I've got some pleasant news for you, Louise,' said Mrs. LaGrange one day to her son. "'Your uncle and cousin are coming down from Virginia.' and I want you to be all attention to your cousin, for she is very rich. She has a fortune in her right, which was left her by her grandmother, and besides, she will have another one at her father's death, added to which they say, she is a very beautiful girl. Great preparations were made for the expected guests. Georgette was Mrs. Lagrange's brother's child, and having been separated from him for more than 15 years, she was full of joyful anticipations when he apprised her of his intention of visiting her in company with his daughter. At length, the welcome day arrived, and Mrs. LaGrange stood arranging her jewels and ribbons to receive the guests. "'You are welcome to Louisiana,' said she, removing Georgette's shawl and tenderly kissing her. "'Ah!' you too brother she said as mr monteith followed his daughter how beautiful georgia has grown since i saw her why darling you look charming i'm afraid i shan't be able to keep you long for some of the beau will surely run away with you my son said mrs lagrange introducing louise who just then entered the door louise bowed very low and expressed his pleasure in seeing them and hoped they would have a happy time and that nothing should be wanting on his part to make it so. Very pleasantly passed the time away. Georgette was in high and charming spirits and many a pleasant ride and delightful saunter she took with her cousin through the woods or in visiting other plantations. She was very popular among the planter's sons, admired by the young men but feared and envied by the girls. And thus the hours passed in a whirl of pleasurable excitement until Louise actually imagined himself in love with her and found himself one pleasant afternoon offering his hand and heart. She blushed inside and, and referred him to her papa and in a few weeks they were engaged. At length the time of their departure came and Louise, after accompanying them to New Orleans, returned to make ready for the wedding. His father made him a present of a large plantation, which he stocked from his own purse with 300 slaves, and installed Ellen there as a housekeeper till the arrival of the new mistress. Thee is welcome to S said the cheerful voice of Thomas Carpenter, as Josiah Collins alighted, bringing with him his charge. And is this the little child thee wrote me about? I am heartily glad thee has rescued her from that dreadful system. Anna, said he, turning to his wife, who had just entered the room. Here is our friend Josiah Collins and the little girl I told thee about. I am glad thee has come, said Anna. Sit down and make thyself at home. And this is the little girl thee wrote Thomas about. She is a beautiful child, continued Anna, gazing admirably at the child. I hope she will be contented. Does she fret about her mother? Not much. She would sometimes ask, where is mama? But the ladies in the cars were very kind to her, and she was quite at home with them. I told them I was taking her north and that I thought the north would better agree with her and that it was not convenient for her mother to come on just now. I was really amused with the attention she received from the southern ladies, knowing how they would have shrunk from such offices if they had known that one drop of the outcast's blood ran in her veins why josiah said anna i have always heard that there was more prejudice against the colored people in the north than in the south there is a difference in the manifestations of this feeling but i do not think there is as much prejudice here as there here we have a prejudice which is formed from traditional ideas We see in many parts of the north a very few of the colored people, and our impressions of them have received their coloring more or less from what the slaveholders have said of them. We have been taught that they are idle, improvident, and unfitted for freedom, and incapable of progression, and when we see them in the cities, we see them overshadowed by wealth, enterprise, and activity, so that our unfavorable impressions are too often confirmed. Still, if one of that class rises above this low mental condition, we know that there are many who are willing to give such a one a healthy recognition. I know that there are those that have great obstacles to overcome, but I think that while Southerners may have more personal likings for certain favorite servants, they have stronger prejudices than even we have, or if they have no more than we have, They have more self-restraint and show it more virulently. But I think they do not seem to have any horror of personal contact. Of course not. Constant familiarity with the race has worn away all sense of physical repulsion that there is a prejudice which ought to be an American feeling. It is a prejudice against their rising in the scale of humanity, a prejudice which virtually says you are down and I mean to keep you down. As a servant I tolerate you, you are useful as you are valuable, but rides one step up in the scale of being and I'm ready to put you down. I see this in the treatment that the free colored people receive in parts of the south. They seem to me to be the outcasts of an outcast race. They are denied the right to walk in certain public places accessible to every class unless they go as nurses and are forbidden to assemble in the evening meetings and forced to be in the house unless they have passes by an early hour in the night, and in fact, they are hampered or hemmed in on every side, subject to insults from any rude, coarse, or brutal white, and in case of outrages, denied their testimony. Prejudiced as we are in Pennsylvania we did not go that far. But Josiah, we have much to blush for in Pennsylvania. Colored people are denied the privilege of riding in our streetcars. Only last week when I was in Philadelphia, I saw a very decent looking colored woman with a child who looked too feeble to walk and the child too heavy for her to carry. She beckoned to a conductor, but he swept by and took no more heed of her than if she had been a dog. There was a young lady sitting in the car who remarked to her mother as a very filthy looking white man entered. See, they will let that filthy creature ride and prohibit a decent, respectable colored person? The mother quietly assented. From her dress, I took her to be a Quakeress. For she had a lovely dress of dove-colored silk the young lady had scarcely uttered the words when a young man who sat next the mother deliberately arose and beckoned to the man with the city clothes to take his seat but fortunately for the quakeress a lady who was sitting next to her daughter arose just at that moment and left the seat and the old man without noticing the maneuver passed over to the other side and thus avoided the contact i was amused however about one thing for the young man who gave up his seat was compelled to ride about a mile standing served him right said thomas carpenter it was a very contemptible action to attempt to punish the hardihood of the young lady by attempting to soil her mother's dress, and yet little souls who feel a morbid satisfaction in trampling on the weak always sink themselves in the scale of manhood. While this conversation was going on, the tea bell rang, and Josiah and his little charge sat down to a well supplied table for their friends though plain and economical, are no enemies to good living. Anna had brought the high chair in, which their own darling had sat a few months before, when she had made gladness and sunshine around her parents' path. There was a tender light in the eye of the Quakeress as she dusted the chair and sat many at the table. Do you think, said Thomas, addressing Josiah, that we will ever outgrow this wicked, miserable prejudice? Oh yes, but it must be the work of time. Both races have their work to do. The colored man must outgrow his old condition of things and thus create around him a new class of associations. This generation has known him as being a landless, poor, and ignorant. One of the most important things for him to do is to acquire land. He will never gain his full measure of strength until, like Antis, he touches the earth, and I think here is the great fault or misfortune of the race. They seem to me to readily accept their situation and not to let their industrial aspirations raise high enough. I wish they had more of the earth hunger that characterizes the German or the concentration of purpose which we see in the Jews. I think, said Thomas, that the Jews and the Negroes have one thing in common and that is their power of endurance. They, like the Negro, have lived upon an idea, and that is the hope of a deliverer yet to come. But I think this characteristic more strongly developed in the Jews than in the Negroes. Doubtless it is, but their origin and history have been different. The Jews have a common ancestry and grand traditions that have left alive their pride of race. We have Abraham to our father, they said, when their necks were bowed beneath the Roman yoke. But I did not think the Negro can trace with certainty his origin back to any of the older civilizations. And here for more than 200 years, his history has been a record of blood and tears, of ignorance, degradation, and slavery. And when nominally free, Prejudice has assigned him the lowest positions and the humblest situations. I have not much hope of their progress while they are enslaved in the South. Well, Josiah, I have faith enough in the ultimate triumph of our principles to believe that slavery will bite the dust before long. I don't know, friend Carpenter, for the system is very strongly rooted and grounded in the institutions of the land and has trenched itself in the strongholds of church and state, fashion, custom, and social life. And yet, when I was in the South, I saw on every hand a growing differentiation toward the government. Do you know, Josiah, that I have more hope from the madness and folly of the South than I have from the wisdom and virtue of the North? I have read too, whom the gods would destroy they first make mad. 10 years have elapsed since many came to brighten the home of thomas carpenter and although within the heart of anna there is a spot forever green and sacred to the memory of her only child yet many holds an undivided place in their affections there is only one subject which is to them a source of concern it is the connection of many with the colored race Not that they love her less on account of the blood that is in her veins, but they dread the effect its discovery would have upon the pleasant social circle with which she is surrounded and also the fear that the revelation would be painful to her. They know that she is anti-slavery in her principles. They have been careful to instill into her young mind a reverence for humanity and to recognize beneath all externals rather of condition or color, the human soul all written over the handmarks of divinity and the common claims of humanity. She has known for years that their home has been one of the stations of the Underground Railroad, and the anti-slavery lecturer, rather white or colored, has always been among the welcome guests of their home. Still, they shrink from the effect the knowledge would have on her mind, they know she is willing to work for the colored race, but they could not divine what it would cost her to work with them. It seems to me, Anna, that we ought to reveal to Minnie the fact of her connection with the colored race. I'm afraid that she will learn in some way that will rudely shock her, whereas we might break it to her in the tenderest manner. Every time a fugitive comes, I dread that our darling will be recognized. Nay, Thomas. Thy fears have made thee oversensitive. Who would imagine he saw in this bright and radiant girl of 15, the little five-year-old child we took to our hearts and home. I never feel any difference between her and the widest child in the village as far as prejudice is concerned. And if everybody in the village knew her origin, I would love her just as much as I ever did for she is a dear, good child. Well, dear, If you think it is best to keep it a secret, I will not interfere, but we must not forget that Minnie will soon be a young lady, that she is very beautiful, and even now she begins to attract admiration. I do not think it would be right for us to let her marry a white man without letting her know the prejudices of society and giving her a chance to explain to him the condition of things. Yes, said Anna, that is true i have heard that the traces of that blood will sometimes reappear even in grandchildren when it has not been detected in the first and to guard against difficulty which might arise from such a course i think it is better to apprise her of the facts in this case it is time enough for that i want her to finish her education before she thinks of marrying and i'm getting her ready to go to philadelphia where she will find an excellent school as I have heard it very highly spoken of. She is young and happy. Trouble will come time enough. Let me not hasten its advent. But if time has only strewed the path of many with flowers and ripened the promised beauty of her childhood, it has borne a heavy hand upon the destiny of the LaCroix family. LaCroix is dead, but before his death, he took the precaution to have Luis emancipated, and then made him a joint heir with his daughter. The will he entrusted to the care of Camilla, but the deed of emancipation he placed in the hands of Miriam, saying, here are your free papers and here are Luis's. There is nothing in this world sure but death, and it is well to be on the safe side. Someone might be curious enough to search out his history, and if there should be no legal claim to his freedom, he might be robbed of both his liberty and his inheritance. So keep these papers, and if ever the hour comes when you or he should need them, you must show me." Miriam did as she was bidden, but her heart was lighter when she knew that freedom had come so near her and Louise. LaCroix, before his death, had sold the greater part of his slaves and invested the money in northern bonds and good northern securities. Camilla had married a gentleman from the north and is living very happily upon the old plantation. She does not keep an overseer and tries to do all in her power to ameliorate the condition of her slaves. Still, she is not satisfied with the system and is trying to prepare her slaves for freedom by inducing them to form, as much as possible, habits of self-reliance and self-restraint, which they will need in the freedom which she has determined they shall enjoy as soon as she can arrange her affairs to that effect. But she also has to proceed with a great deal of caution. The South is in a state of agitation and foment. The air is laden with rumors of a rising conflict between the North and the South, and any want of allegiance to Southern opinion is punished either as a crime if the offender is a man, or with social ostracism and insult if a woman. The South, in the palmy days of her pride and power, would never tolerate any heresy to her creed, whose formula of statement might have been written, we believe, in the divine right of the master to take advantage of the weakness, ignorance, and poverty of the slave, that it might make right, and that successes belongs to the strongest arm. Are you still up? Girl, good night.